Good morning to you. I've got to take this uh, coat off. I coached basketball for 30 years. I should have my sweatsuit on and uh, be ready to go here. But great to be with you. Thanks, uh, Dave. Good to see you, Becky, and a lot of friends that I know. What's been five years? Six years, NBC? And uh, so when we started out, Dave used to lead all the worship with a lot of the present team, and, and Kurt and I would come over here and preach, and uh, wow, what a joy to, to uh, see some older faces and uh, some new faces, and joy for me to, to be here. Yeah, three weeks from tonight, Patty and I uh, board a plane and uh, head to Zimbabwe for, Lord willing, six months. Yeah, it'll be 20 years since we've been making that trip, or I have, most of the time, uh, Patty with me. Uh, I want you to turn your Bibles, if you would, today to 1 Thessalonians. <clears throat> By the way, just for your information, uh, this is a sponge, and uh, this is a can of Pepsi. Think of it, though, as a can of Coke, okay? Coke, you got it? All right, just, just checking, making sure you're awake this morning. Uh, the title of what I want to share with you today is, What's Your Story? Now, I want to tell you a true story. In 1952, it was actually Christmas Eve, 1952, and there was a young woman whose husband had died in the Korean War, and she was pregnant, uh, nine months, and she was making her way that evening late evening, to a friend's house by the name of Miss Watson, who ran an orphanage there. And as she came uh, not too far from from Miss Watson's home, there was a a long bridge. But as she approached the bridge, the the, uh, birth contractions became so bad, she, she couldn't go on any longer. And so she made a decision. And she went underneath the bridge, and there she gave first a birth to her firstborn. After the baby was born, she was totally exhausted, and uh, the baby began to, to cry, due obviously to the cold. And so this young woman by the name of Bak Yoon made a decision. She took off her coat. The baby still continued to cry. She took off her sweater. She took off, you bear with me, she took off all of her clothes until the baby stopped crying, wrapped here with the umbilical cord still attached. She just passed out. The next morning, Miss Watson left the orphanage and was traveling in her car across this bridge. And she got into the middle of the bridge or so and her car stalled. She got out as she started to walk back over the crunching snow. She heard the faint cry of a child. She made her way underneath the bridge, and there she found her friend, Bak Yoon, literally frozen with the umbilical cord still attached. She took this little boy in. She gave him a name. She called him Sue Park. She loved all the kids in the orphanage, but... Sue Park was special because of the relationship she had with Bak Yoon. And the child continued to grow, and, and Miss Watson would tell Sue Park how much her mother, his mother loved him. And he would love to hear the story. And uh, so now it's 12 years later. 
it's Christmas Day. And Sue Park says, Miss Watson, could I go see my mother's grave? Now, you don't like end of stories, do you? So I'm going to just leave it exactly right there. Aren't you happy? <laughs> Anybody said this to you? What's your story? You maybe had someone say, what's your story, man? But what is your story? If I ask you today, what's the story of your junior high years, you could probably complete it in a sentence or two. Huh? You could wrap it up. Some of us, even our high school years, I mean, it's, it's faintly back there and, and we, we tell our story. Or college or, or whatever it might be. Now, if I ask Dave and Becky, hey, what, what's your story with seven kids? <laughs> ah, it would stretch out quite a bit. But you know what? The Carlson story isn't over yet. And should the Lord Jesus tarry, their children or grandchildren or whatever, their story is going to continue on and on and on. Now, I don't know what your story is of your life, but your story isn't over. And every decision that you have ever made in the past has influenced your story to this date. And every decision, every move you make from now on will determine the final chapters of your story. So I ask you this question as we begin today. How would you like the last chapter to end? It's up to you. It's up to me. The decisions that we make day by day. Now, how many of you play checkers? Chess. Okay. All seven of you. No. <laughs> uh -huh. But, but, but you make moves. I can look back in my life and I can say, uh, not just checkerboard or chessboard, but that was a stupid move, Glenn. That was so, I wish I could, you know, back up and make that move again. Make it differently. But you can't. Alright? But every day we make decisions, every day we make moves. You're playing checkers or chess, you've got to think way ahead. And hopefully some experience helps you in that matter. Now, I want to tell you about the Thessalonian story. We're talking about the world. The world is on God's heart. He loves the world, He loves the peoples in the world, all the tribes and tongues and, and nations. And so, when the Lord Jesus died, his disciples began to take this message into all the world because it was his, what we refer to as the Great Commission. And they were to have a great commitment to that Great Commission. And so you read the book of Acts and you find out what they did. And one of the key players in the book of Acts was the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul went on a couple different missionary journeys, three that we have recorded there. And on his second missionary journey... He finds himself in a city uh, called Troas. He wanted to go up in the area of what we know Turkey today, Asia Minor. And the Holy Spirit said, nope. And he comes on down to Troas and he gets a vision. And uh, 
is a night vision. And there was a man saying, come on over into Macedonia and help us. And he's the only one who got the vision. Silas was there with him, Timothy was there, and probably Dr. Luke. They had a team of four. And after he had this vision, he got together with his guys and he said, hey guys, this is what happened. And they concluded that God wanted them to preach the gospel into Macedonia. So they went over and they found a city called Philippi, called Little Rome, actually. They were beaten with rods. They were thrown in jail. Some of you know that story. They get kicked out or they, they leave there. They go to a city called Thessalonica, or some of you may pronounce it Thessalonica. Whatever way, doesn't make any difference. It was a cosmopolitan city of around 200,000 people. It was on the Ignatian Way from Rome. Roads led through there to the Orient and every place else. It was a very strategic city. And God, through Paul and the Holy Spirit, led him to various strategic cities, like Philippi, like Thessalonica, like Corinth, like Athens, like Ephesus. You know that we live, I think, in the most strategic valley in, in the whole world. They used to say half of the wealth of the world is in the United States, and half of the wealth of the United States is in California, and half of the wealth of California is in Silicon Valley right here. I would rather live here than any place else in the world. Take away a little traffic now and then, but, you know. Hey, this is a very strategic place. We have a lot of thinkers and so forth here in this place. It's a strategic place. And so it was. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy, they go on down to this city called Thessalonica. And they go into uh, the synagogue and they preach in a synagogue and obviously some other places. And some people come to know the Lord. You can find it in Acts chapter 17. Actually, it says some leading women there embrace the gospel and so forth as well. And so this, this church was started. And this is what they said about this, these people. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and so on. These men who have upset the world have come here to our city. Thessalonica. I don't know about you, but that's impressive to me. See, they were, they were a team. There was just three of them, and I said, maybe Dr. Luke with them, a team of four. These men, they came into this idolatrous city. I mean, they had all kinds of, of, of things that were going on there. There was a group of people that heard a message and believed it in their hearts. And look at what it says. This is what it says in your Bible. Follow along. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you also became imitators 
of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became examples to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report what kind of reception we had among you. How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And then you have the start there of, of chapter 2. And you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in, what's the next word? Vain. The last thing that you want to have said about your life is that it was in vain. That it was useless, that it was futile, that it was fruitless. You don't want the last chapter of your life to say, you know, I had uh, 30 years of, of marriage and then, well, the last five or whatever. I, 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 you know, was, was faithful in this area of my life for a long time, but the final chapter, not so good. No, we, we want our story to end well. Huh? You like the last chapter to, to, to be a, a winner? That's the way we like it. So I want to share some thoughts with you here today. Oh, by the way, this is a can of Coke, okay? And this is a sponge. Now, you struggle with things in this box today. Uh, you're probably not in this box, but you could be. And for sure, you're not in this box. Aren't you happy? Yeah. All right. Now, if you're following along, uh, if you've got an outline before you there, the first thing I want to share with you in terms of, of your story is that these Thessalonians, what they had, this church, is they had an idolatry deliverance. And you see, that's what's in this box right here. Idolatry. You know that idolatry is the main issue that God has with humanity. Idolatry is mentioned in every single book in some way, shape, or form in the Bible that you hold in your hand. The Apostle John, when he writes 1 John, that I think Dave and I, uh, with our, our staff, we memorized years ago. It says, the last verse, remember it? Little children, guard yourself from idols. Of course, we don't have any idols here today. There was a little girl. She was a father of, uh, her father was a pastor. She was eight years old and she comes to her dad one day and she says, hey dad, I want to recite something to you. And he says, fine, go ahead. And she went through and she recited all of the Ten Commandments. And her dad was quite impressed. And then he said to her, hey, thanks so much. Honey, have you obeyed them all? Well, she wasn't expecting to go down that trail. <laughs> have you ever lied, honey? And she says, yes. Have you always obeyed us? your mom and your dad all the time. She says, no. 
have you ever gotten angry? She says, yes. So he, he went down, you know, a little bit. She says, but daddy, there is one commandment that I know that I haven't, uh, you know, violated. He says, well, what's that? He says, it, it's the one on idolatry. I don't have any, any idols. <laughs> and so he, he stopped there. Martin Luther said, you cannot, if you break one, even one of the other nine, he has also broken this one. You shall have no other gods before me. And we have issues in our life that we struggle with. Your iPhone might be in here. Your IT world. Huh? Your iPad. It could be pleasure. It could be your, your status, your power. You know, power, by the way, that's a short-term antidepressant. <laughs> Don't go for the power. Don't go for the status. Don't try to climb the corporate ladder. There are many things in here that we struggle with. And we don't even think that they're idols. But it's anything we put before. These Thessalonians turned. They made an about face from this. To serve the living and the true God. And to wait for his son from heaven who delivers from the wrath to come. I think it was Oz Guinness who said something like this. <clears throat> I've added uh, a little bit. It says, idolatry is huge in the Bible, dominant in our personal lives, often unaddressed in our churches, and irrelevant in our modern world. It's true, isn't it? We struggle all the time. Our family can become that to us where all we do is pour all of our time and energy and, and, and so forth in it. There has to be a balance in all of our lives. So I struggle with it. You struggle with it. But they turn. And there's, there needs to be, see, constant repentance in our life, where we turn from the gods of this world to the living and the true God. The second thing I want to share with you <clears throat> in terms of, of what's your story, is that uh, it's just this. It's, I call it a, a divine appraisal. Uh, look at verse 4 in your Bible. It says, knowing, brethren, what's the next word? Beloved by God, his choice of you. He pulled me out of the pit when I was 30 years of age. I was a high school teacher and basketball coach on the east side of San Jose. I didn't deserve to be pulled out of the pit. I couldn't pull myself out of the pit. I couldn't crawl out of the pit. But God reached down his hand and pulled me out. And so he reminds these Thessalonians. Now, look, <clears throat> I want to remind you that this church was only 18 months to two years old. They weren't some 30-year-old church or even six-year-old church. They were just a couple-year-old church. But they got it in terms of what they were to do and what they were to be about and who they were. And so Paul writes back, you got to remember now, these Christians in Thessalonica were suffering. 
Some of them have been thrown into prison. Some of them have been beaten. Maybe some of them already died because of their faith in the Lord Jesus from turning from idolatry to serve the living and true God. And so Paul writes these encouraging words back and he says, Hey guys, gals, remember, he chose you. You're loved by him. It's critical that we know our identity. If you don't know our identity, you don't know how to live and, and who you are, where you're going, what life is about. Hard to finish the final chapters of your story. I was reminded as I was thinking about this of, of what First Peter uh, tells us. Notice the, the, uh, the words that he uses. But you, NBC, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, what does it say? Belonging to God, the church, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in God the Father. He is in you. You are in him. What union, what hope we have. What's the purpose clause? That you may proclaim the excellencies of this one who pulled you out of the pit, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We ought to preach the gospel every day to ourselves. We still deserve to be down there. And he pulled us out, put us into his marvelous, marvelous light. And so this church, you notice what happened? They became examples. They became imitators, first of all, of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. That's what discipleship is. That's why you have children's programs. That's why you have home groups. That's why you have other classes and things. I was talking to Les back here. He's telling me about Tim Riley's, how many weeks uh, series is it? Six-week Six series on sharing your faith. and so. Forth. That's why you have these things. So you can learn, so you can grow. But he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord Jesus. The third thing, if you want your story to end well, is that, that you need an addiction. <laughs> some of us have some addictions, don't we? I, I border on some compulsive kind of stuff. I was a compulsive gambler before I became a Christian. I was a compulsive blasphemer. I was a compulsive uh, healthaholic, exerciseaholic, a few other aholics mixed in there. I was passionate, all right. I was, a, I was addicted to some things. But uh, these Thessalonians, they picked up from Paul and Silas and Timothy an addiction, first of all, for Jesus. They were in love with this one who delivered them from their sins, from the penalty of that, and from the wrath to come. That's what it says in verse 10. He rescued you, rescued us from the wrath that's coming. There is coming upon the entire world one of these fine days. It won't be a fine day for most people. When the Lord Jesus returns. If he were returned today, then according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, those of us who believe would be caught up with the Lord to, in the air, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we, boom, we're snatched up, and uh, thus we'll always be with the Lord. That's one of the reasons Paul was writing, because some of their people had died. 
And they wonder, what happens now if the Lord Jesus returns? Are, are they left behind? You know, so Paul writes and he instructs regarding that. But it's a mission addiction. It's a hunger for Jesus. It's a passion for the lost. That's this box here. I hope you're not in that box. I hope you've been found by the Savior. But you have family. You have friends. You have neighbors. You have associates. You have classmates. Everybody is born in this box. If you have a friend that doesn't, you have a family member, you could say, whoever they are, they are alienated from God, they are depraved, they are lost, they are condemned, they're children, followers of the prince of the power of the air. They will never taste of eternal life. You have people that are in this box that are lost. When I hurt my, uh, <clears throat> well, I had a hip replacement three and a half years ago. I took a fall before, I kept running on it, and I got a limp, I kept running, and so I needed a hip replacement. So the last six years, I've gone to the gym. Most every day when I'm in the States, except Sundays. There are lost people at 24-hour fitness. And people don't talk to you there. The guys, they just lift and look, lift and look. <laughs> Every, I mean, sometimes it's like they're not even lifting. You know, it's just. I saw a guy in there yesterday. He was. Yeah. A lot of them are on. You, you don't get those kind of muscles without steroids. Honestly, you just don't. Can't you tell I lift weights? Huh? <laughs> can't see these bulging muscles underneath here? I do lift some, but you, I can't get that big. You really can't. People are searching. You know, they're trying to keep something up. Their image, their looks, their this, their that, or whatever. You have all kinds of opportunities. Every time I get in a stepper for at least 20, well, at least 30 minutes a day, I got a big old giant print Bible. And I read it. You will not believe the opportunities that I've had. What are you reading there? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Last Christmas, uh, we had five people come to the church for the very first time for 24-hour fitness from the one I work at because I've just talked to people. I met a girl on uh, 18 years old who goes to Cupertino High School on Thursday. And she's, I had seen her there many times before, but this time she's right next to me. And so I said to her, uh, man, you work out almost every day. You're really good. She says, yeah, I like to work out. It's one of the machines I can get a sweat on. You know, we're both sitting there sweating and I'm about finished. And, and, uh, so I said, well, you know, what, what's your name? Oh, we've got the chat in a little bit. I go to Cupertino High. What happens after Cupertino High? Oh, I'm going to go to junior college and so forth. I, I, I just want to make something in my life. And, uh, I said to her, hey, let me give you couple of Bible verses that will help you. You got a Bible at home? She says, yeah, I got a Bible at home. I think she might be Catholic, but I'm not certain. So there I, there I am, and I put my my bag, and I turn to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And I says, hey, Ruby, look at this. If you, Ruby, will trust in the Lord with all your heart 
If you will just not lean on your own understanding, you get some wisdom from your parents and this and that, in all your ways acknowledge God. He will make your path straight. He'll direct your path. He really will, Ruby. And then I went out to my car and I gave, I gave her, the next day, I gave, she was there again, and I gave her two CDs, one of, uh, on a series I did called Why Christianity? Is Jesus the only way? Is Jesus the truth? Is Jesus the only life? Wherever you go, we are to gossip the gospel. Number four, to have a story that ends well, you need a supernatural encounter. These people, Dave, what time do we stop? Just tell me. Oh, 10, 15. Man, lots of time. No worries. No worries. You got eight more songs after that. <laughs> How many songs do you have after? Two? Two. You got two songs? Okay, all right. Thanks. Just We got this all planned out. I mean, it's no, no worries. No problem. But, but, but if you, you look at it, look what it says. They receive not just the word. You, you have to get the word, but the word came in power. It came in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. It changed not only their beliefs, their values they received from the Word of God. And it became so much a conviction part of their life that it was lived out in their actions by the things and so forth which they did. And it created in them a supernatural boldness. Look at verse 8. For the Word of the Lord has sounded forth from you not only in the area in which they live, Macedonia, but all the way down in Corinth, in Athens, and every other place the word went out. This church just got the message from Jesus to take the gospel, the good news, into all the world. And there was fruit from it. It makes a difference. Because this Word is living and active and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces right down into your heart and my heart. And when it's shared, it does the same for others. And it also gives them hope and comfort and encouragement. And it generates generosity. In fact, you read about this church later on. Paul talks about the Macedonians who gave out of their poverty. Not out of their abundance, out of their poverty. That's what the Holy Spirit does in your life. I got a very quick story to tell. There was a gal, she's been to Zimbabwe now three times from a church in Atlanta. I haven't even met her. But she went this last December with some others at an orphanage down in the south of the country, the second largest city, Bulawayo. And she came back, she's been there, now this is her, as I said, I think third time. And she came back and she said, she wrote me an email. She says, Glenn, your guys, Jeff, Garakai, and Fry, they are, they're amazing guys. And this orphanage pastor, Gideon, that we work with, they have 14 orphans. Almost every one has been sexually abused. He just has a heart for, he and his wife for taking in these orphans. And she came back and she said, Glenn came back and I got a raise. I wasn't expecting a raise, but I got a raise. And she says, I'm going to, <clears throat> break my raise up this next year, and I'm going to give it to Hands of Hope. If I can help out towards Pastor Gideon, but I've seen nine of your homes of the 21 that you have, and she said, I'm going to give 12 months of my bonus. 
it amounts to $24,000. She's giving $2,000 a month to HOH, to Hands of Hope. Why? Because she saw the difference. She's been going for three or four years now, and she's seen the difference in the lives of these children. Huh? It produces generosity. And lastly, it produces a holy ambition. For integrity, for God's glory, for his approval. If you start, I don't have time now to go into chapter 2. But in chapter 2, Paul talks about the fact that we have been entrusted with the gospel. And we do not seek to please men. That's a trap. But only God. People pleasing will bury you. It will put you into bondage. But pleasing God will release you. And there will be joy and peace in your heart. Now, I do not know what kinds of acts of kindness that the Thessalonians did. They preached the gospel, but I'm sure that they had acts of compassion as well. We uh, just planted April 1st a church in a city about 70 miles outside of Harare. We went to the chief. We went to the local officials. And we said we want to plant a church. And our bridge builder into the community was feeding 25 orphans that are part of a big school that's there. That was our bridge builder. Compassion, evangelism. If you study the Gospels, they were always married in the life of Jesus. 1998, Patty and I purchased... You, this is uh, the the children you see there are on a plot of land of, of four acres, and I was teaching at Harare Theological College, and I had a student named Francesca Salgueme, and she says uh, I asked her after class one day, "Why are you here at school at 49 years of age?" She says, "I want to start an orphanage for AIDS kids," and a year later she writes us a letter. She says, "Glenn, Patty, we had to start buy an orphanage." She didn't have any money, meant we. And I'd saved up over the years at San Jose Christian College for doing interim works at different churches, a year at Las Gatas, Santa Cruz Bible, Fremont Community, seminars that I did. We had $40,000 saved up over many years in a Miller Missions Fund. And we took that $40,000 and we bought that four acres of land. And we started building up the, the cottage and the uh, house, just had a foundation with our own money. Over years, Patty and I put $50,000 into that property. And that's all we planned to do is have an orphanage there. But God had other plans. And this, though, now we have these children that are on this particular property. It's one of 21 homes. Patty and I never had some vision waking up in the morning saying, Oh, Lord, you have given us a personal vision of ministering to orphans. I can see it. One day we're going to have 21 orphanages. We're going to have six preschools. We're going to be feeding children all over the country. No, no, no. It was God. It's been God from the get-go. And here's our mission statement. We exist to communicate the love of Christ to orphans by partnering with the local church and assisting the body of Christ in meeting the needs of orphans' body, soul, and spirit in Zimbabwe, Africa, and around the world. We opened up a home 
uh, this last year in the country of Kyrgyzstan. It's the first orphanage that's not an institution in the entire country that people that we know there care about. We also have a home in Swaziland. All right? But this is why. We don't do anything apart from a local church. Mission organizations, parachurch organizations come and go, but churches stay. And so our vision is to provide a hope of family and a future for orphans. In southern Africa right now, there are 15 million orphans. It's going to max out at 25 million, they tell us. So we minister in this little country down here called Zimbabwe. That's a whole other story of how I and Patty and I ended up there. But presently, this is what God has done. We have not asked one individual or church for one U.S. dollar. We have only prayed. For the guys on our board, businessmen, they wanted to market HOH 11 and a half years ago, and Patty and I says, you know what, it's just not us. We'll just pray, and we'll see what God does, and we'll be faithful stewards of what he gives us. Uh, so this is, this is what he's done, not us, but all through local churches. We have three employees. This Jeff, uh, the big guy, he was just out here, actually. Stanford University flew him back. He's also head of the physiology department at the University of Zimbabwe. He's been with us for five years. Garakai was an English teacher, and uh, he's our Jeff is our national administrator. Garakai is our national, uh, or Jeff is our national director. Garakai, national administrator. Some of you will meet these guys someday. I have a feeling in person. When I came back from a trip in the year 2000, somebody <clears throat> from Los Gatos Christian Church, now Venture, handed us a check for $30,000. And we bought the house that's right here. These are our first girls. They were right off the street. They've been used and abused. Some of them have never been to school before. Now all of these children here that you see in this picture, they're all out of the home. Some of them are married. Some of them have jobs. Some of them are, are uh, living with some extended family at this point in time in their life. Westgate uh, Church with Steve Clifford, just, uh, you know, not too far from here. They purchased a home for $53,000 for us. I spoke over there. They took an offering. I had a lady at church I'd never met before hand me a check for $20,000. I couldn't believe it. I said, you sure you didn't make a mistake with a zero? She said, we're new Christians. I just felt God touched us. We, we, we want to give. We purchased this home and Westgate has basically been supporting this home. This is a good friend of mine, Pastor Henry. Pastor Henry and his wife, it's a two bedroom home. They got three of their own kids and they keep 15 orphans in their house. We now have two homes with him in this high density area. These are some of the children. They feed 200 children, porridge in the morning and lunch. These are some of the kids that you see here. This is a little uh, child that was dumped off at our doorstep, Ruva Washi. We gave her a name. We gave her a birth date. Uh, we didn't know how exactly what her, you know, when she was born and so forth. She didn't smile for about uh, six months. This is a gal named Precious. She had a, a twin brothers, a brother and a sister that both died on the street. And she was dumped off at one of our doorsteps as well. She's, uh, this is a picture taken when she was a little bit smaller. She's, she's now, uh, just a delightful, uh, girl. This is the one that just arrived here not, not too long ago, uh, in one of our homes. It was, uh, uh, I think found downtown and, and, uh, they gave it to us. This is a team from Solid Rock. Dave, uh, knows Phil Comer 
and his son who started this church up there in Tigard, Oregon, seven and a half years ago. It's grown from small church to 7,000 people. They send now teams three times a year. This was a team in August, 25 of them. We divided them up into three different kinds of teams. Each of our guys took a team and they ministered there. So they're sending three teams a year. They're so tied in to what we're, we're doing. They helped us with the church plant as well. They gave us $9,000 out of a Go fund. It's a church planting fund to help us plant that church. And uh, this gal, Dorcas, her wedding was December the 18th. And she was one of the girls in our very first home 11 years ago, right off the street. Not one known relative. And uh, she went out after she got out of her home. She wanted to give back. And so she started ministering on the 1,000-acre farm that we had. And we built earth homes. Uh, Jonathan and David and Steve and my son and some others from Valley and some guys from Solid Rock. Ryan uh, and Amanda were there with us. My wife was with Amanda. They did the cooking with some other ladies, obviously, there. And uh, we were part, we built a home and a half in nine days. Now we got nine orphans in three homes because we taught the Zimbabweans how to do it. And she met while she was out there ministering in one of the homes to the children. And all the children out there under the age of seven have her own school now. And, and uh, she, she met a guy out there. And these are some of the little orphans that we had taken in about two years ago out there. And uh, so here's a gal off the street into one of our homes, out onto the farm to give back, now married. And uh, you can see her smile. Dorcas is her name. All right. And so what we try to do in terms of Hands of Hope, is we just try to love. You know who that girl is right there? That's Dorcas. That's the one 11 years ago. And I had my arm around her. That's one of the very first pictures that we ever took. And uh, I wish I could have been there for her wedding or maybe uh, done her wedding, but a pastor friend of mine was able to do that. I got this email yesterday. This was from Jeff, our national director. His church started an orphanage. Uh, Hands of Hope bought, bought it, but they set aside $2,000 a month to run the orphanage. And they're going to uh, pretty soon have 12 kids. I think they got six right now. And this is my last slide. We're in the process of purchasing this property. It used to be a backpacker's camp. It's 134 acres of land. There's only about five acres that are developed. It has eight A-frames on it. It has six chalets. It has a main cottage or lodge that holds about 20 people, and you can feed about 30 people and so forth on it there. And what we want to do is provide a camping experience every year for all the children in our homes, some in our feeding projects. We're going to develop on this property we're going to put up a fish farm, a chicken run, a piggery, a mushroom growing, four square gardening, farming God's way plots. We hope to have a computer center, a sewing center on it for some skills training for our children and to develop also the other 100 plus acres of land. So what I would like to see is I would like to see Neighborhood Bible Church maybe next year we plan and we pray ahead
and you bring a team. I'd actually like this guy here, this friend of mine, to lead it. But I can't dictate anything. But, <laughs> but I can strongly suggest. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty low key. I don't put much pressure, but, but. That's why I said some of you are going to get on an airplane, you know, and you're going to fly halfway around the world and minister to orphans. You guys support Ryan and Amanda. I'm going to, in three weeks' time, Patty and I are going to hug little hope and little mercy before we hug Ryan and Amanda. (laughs) We got so attached. We met with them last year every single week when we were there with Ryan and Amanda, just to encourage them. They're new on the field and, and, and so forth. And so, uh, to God be the glory. Oh, this, by the way, is a sponge. And this is a can of Coke. And my last box, you're not in this box because you're here. You need to pray for people that you know in this box. A threefold prayer. Lord, open a door for me to share with lost people. Lord, open their hearts. And Lord, open my mouth and my hands. Threefold prayer. You got it? Open a door. Open their hearts. Open my hands and my mouth. Now, when you take this sponge like this, you put it, whatever you put it in, and when you squeeze it, that's what comes out. If you were to put Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, and you squeeze them, what comes out is Jesus in the gospel. If I were to squeeze you, what would come out of you? Now, I've traveled in, I said, almost 50 countries around the world. I have not gone to one country where there wasn't Coke. I have not talked to one person in those countries that has not tasted a can of Coke. So how did that happen? They didn't say, hey, Zimbabweans, come to the U.S. and taste a can of Coke. We'll pay your airfare. From the get-go, they wanted to place Coca-Cola, a Coke, within distance of every single person in the world. Now, we have this gospel. Don't keep it to yourself. Jesus had a plan, 12 men. Take it into all the world. It's called Go. And that's what Coke has done. They have gone. And some of you need to go somewhere across the street, down to Mexico, better yet, Zimbabwe, (laughs) to go. And when you go, then you just squeeze yourself in the love of Jesus will come forth. Father, we thank you this morning for each precious person here made in your image for your glory. 
even as we read about these Thessalonians, known, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. And we want to rejoice in that today. We want to thank you for your Holy Spirit who teaches us and leads us. We ask that you would deliver us continually from idolatry, that we would pray for lost people, and that we would be inviters. Because 80% of people that come to church come via a personal invitation. And so help us to open our mouths up and, and invite people to a Bible study, to some kind of event, to church on Sunday morning, for children, for some kind of an outreach, whatever it might be. So we want to thank you today. Our story isn't over yet. We're still writing chapters. And we want it to end well. So we can say, I fought the good fight, finished the course, kept the faith. So we give you praise. In the precious and matchless name of Jesus. Amen.